Hey y'all, you're listening to episode 17 of the One Chit Wonder Board Gaming Podcast. And today we have a special treat for everyone. Johnny is going to be the host for this episode because he has by far the most experience in our topic of the day, Arkham Horror, the card game. Yeah, I'm a, what you could say, a pretty much a good Arkham expert at this point, I would say. I think I have almost 200 plays on it as well. You are for sure a bonafide expert. Like, there's no doubt in my mind. I've seen all the games you've played with Arkham, all the stuff that you have. Like, there's no one that's better to talk about this than you. Yeah. Well, maybe Mark. Mark is, he's the, I'm the, I was the Padawan to his, uh, his Jedi master. (laughs) But you know what, though? Mark doesn't have a podcast, so too bad, so sad. (laughs) We'll bring him on eventually here, especially if I need to bring him back up at some point for this talk. Yeah. Oh, dude, you know what's crazy? Thinking about the fact that we're talking about Arkham Horror today. Uh How many reviewers can say that they've had 200 plays of a game before talking about it? Uh, Maybe very select few. Maybe if they were like us before they started becoming big time reviewers and they had like one game. Probably all of them probably played Dominion like uh, 200 times because that was the game back in the day. But I think it's pretty cool to hear like a voice like yours to talk about Arkham Horror because I don't think that there's any material online right now that I've personally seen that even remotely compares to what you're able to talk about and the experience you have. That's true. Yep. All right. So um, let me give you kind of like a quick background story how I even how this game even came to be for me because I remember um marvel lcg was the very first first game i ever played like as far as being introduced to lcg model which we talked about last week and that game blew my mind but then i was looking for something with a little bit more of a narrative deeper narrative experience with a more fleshed out campaign and 2020 happened we had that pandemic i was locked in for a couple weeks i think on week five of being shut in i decided hey you know i'm just gonna give arkham a try and and then you know from there it just i played it nonstop. Which was weird because the very first time I played it, it was like before the pandemic. I played one game of it, just a learning game, and I thought this game was bad. Like I was like, "This is an RNG fest. I do not want to play this game ever again." It, like, why would I play this ever over um, Marvel or anything like that? But then when I played that second time around, and then I just got deeper into the system because I guess we have all the downtime during the pandemic, and the game just um, like opened up completely for me and we'll get into more of why i fell in love with it from there yeah so kind of like in comparison for everyone to like kind of see where we both are standing at i have obviously significantly less plays of arkham horror i got into it kind of around like the end of pandemic kind of because of you and mark hyping it up so much you got into it before that too though like me like you played it once before already when you're in yeah, the early a long early on time ago yeah yeah, but I, I don't really count that because truth be told, the core box is a little bit less than impressive. Mm-hmm. But having said that, you know, like I got pretty much an all-in collection up to that point, which was I think right after the Innsmouth uh, box came out. Mm-hmm. I think you had and just gotten to Innsmouth, yeah. Yeah, I had everything and I played through. I have probably about like 12 plays of it, you know, yeah. like we finished uh, Dunwich Legacy. No, and we didn't we finish Dunwich. Did. We were two away. Oh, we didn't? You, me, you, and Damn Tyler. It. We were almost done. See, it, the the curse continues. I can never finish a campaign game. I know. Game. I thought that was, you guys gave me hope that we'd finish a campaign game, but then we finally finished one, and then this podcast came out of it, so... It, <laughs> joke's on you. You should learn never to count on me. <laughs> or the joke is I need to not finish campaign games with you, I guess. I guess, but uh, I got 
all but the last two of Dunwich, and then I played half of Path to Carcosa with you, and no. I played the base game. You did not get through half of Carcosa twice. You got through, dude. Yeah, we did. You got through three of them, I think. Three, three out, of, out eight. of what? Six. Eight. That's. I mean, you round up <laughs> oh, oh. From three to four. <laughs> okay, whatever. okay. It's half. Okay, come on. All right, <laughs> but you have enough knowledge where you know whatever points Dudley makes. As wrong as they will be, they there's some slight experience of validity to them. So just take a grain of salt. Spoiler alert. We're going to be very different views on this, much more so than our views on Marvel because those viewpoints were mostly because of the LCG format. Mm-hmm. I anticipate this either being the shortest podcast we've ever made or extremely long because we're just going to be talking about, we could argue about this forever. I'm almost certain. I even thought about like there this game this game is still ongoing obviously and there's different campaigns and not all campaigns are equal to like I could go I could do a whole episode on each campaign if I wanted to I think like there's just so much to talk about with this game and I'm really excited to to dig into it with you That would be crazy. You know what? If you come out of this, if we come out of this podcast and I feel like picking up Arkham Horror again, oh, I please. Think it's safe to say <laughs> that you've made it okay. as an influencer. Okay. I mean, I, we got Enrique to buy uh, Bad Karma, so we're... Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's like, oh, man, Teberu, this sounds cool. We're this official. exactly what I want. Yep. Yeah, big time. All right, so, you know, I'm not normally the host or anything like that because I like to let Dudley take the lead, and, you know, I'm the support player. But, uh, but for Arkham, I will do my best to kind of just keep this, uh, this podcast going and kind of give you guys a good overview on how Arkham works and what makes it tick for me. So let's just kind of jump into it a little bit and let me give you an overview on the game. The game is been out for six years now. It was released around 2016, uh, designed by Nate French and MJ Newman. It is published by Fantasy Flight Games. Um, it's still ongoing. We are They just finished their last cycle, so I'm waiting for the next one, which is the Scarlet Keys. But the game itself is a living card game. It's in the title of the game itself. Um, it involves deck construction, and the game itself is played in multiple phases. So getting into the phases a little bit here, um, the game is divided into the mythos, investigator phase, enemy phase, and the upkeep phase. Uh, there's different things that will happen during these different phases, starting with the mythos phase. This is the beginning of the round when we move what they call this doom tracker that kind of clocks the game because as the doom advances, we will move the uh, agenda. And as that happens, it can cause bad things to happen because there's only so many agendas you can go through before the game ends and terrible things happen to you. But the heart of the game for me starts with the investigation phase. This is when you get to pilot your decks. And But for Arkham, it's a little bit different because the game will come with different cards that will let you lay out the board for this certain each scenario, and each scenario will lay out differently. Um, during this investigation phase, you get to do things like move, fight, evade, and you also get to play cards to build up your character and help your team tackle the mission objective. And on top of that, while you're doing these things, you'll run to different skill checks depending on which uh, cards you, you end up on because the cards act as locations for you to explore, gather clues, and kind of figure out because the game will tell you an objective and it, you won't really know exactly immediately how to solve it. So you have to do an, these certain things on the board to figure out um, new ways or figure out what will lead you to completing the mission essentially. But after the investigation phase where we do most of our actions, we also go into what we call the enemy phase. During this phase, their monsters can spawn throughout the, the entire scenario. And these monsters will either, if they're very spawned, then they will try to hunt you down and you know 
then get in your way or damage you and attack you. Or they, if they're already engaged with you, then they will attack you immediately. Um, so you have to manage that a little bit. But after we've resolved the enemy phase, we'll go to the upkeep phase. During this phase, you will draw a card, you'll gain resources, and reset your board depending on what cards you've exhausted and everything. And the game repeats like that until either you lose from taking too much damage via health or sanity, or the game will end because the the agenda um, run out of time due to doom expiring, the causing the agenda to to end the scenario. But that's kind of a quick overview of the game. This game has many layers to it. Um, I'm not going to be able to get to all of it in one one episode of a podcast because the appendix is like 40 pages and there's timing charts and everything. And it sounds overbearing and kind of fiddly, but and it can be. But just, you know, it's just like any card game. The more experience you develop, you have it, it and you figure out the system, it just becomes very natural and intuitive. Um, the only other thing I want to mention about this game for people that are considering it that while Marvel was great as a standalone game and kind of tacked on for a campaign game, this game is designed and at its best when you play it as a campaign game. Each campaign is designed to have about eight episodes and each episode or each scenario will build upon each other. You may fail some scenarios, but it's fail forward. So even though you failed, the game will give you options on how to advance and it might handicap you a little bit or it might add things to this thing called the uh, the mythos bag or the the tokens bag. Do you remember what it's called, Dudley? I can't remember what the the bag was called. Bag of death. Okay, we can call it bag of death. But just uh, so I think so. That's one thing I forgot to to mention too is that the the game is designed around a series of skill checks. You know, when you attack, when you are investigating, you have to resolve these skill checks through this tokens bag. And when you draw tokens, it'll modify your skills, and you have to hit a certain threshold to pass that skill check, whether it's attacking or or you know, evading or anything like that. Um, but the game as a campaign, it will build upon that. You will, the bag will modify. So the difficulty will scale depending on how you advance a scenario. And along with that, during the campaign, after you resolve a campaign, you'll get multiple endings to that one episode or that that one scenario will give you a different ending depending on how you performed. And then it's kind of like a choose your adventure at that point, because if you chose to help the, the cult leader then you will get this ending where the cult leader will work with you or if you decide you're gonna turn on you don't trust cult leader and you did something else and during the scenario then now they're all chasing after you so there's this this really dynamic campaign that that can play differently every time you if you play more than once or anything like that but that's kind of a my quick dribble on on arkham horror uh the lcg um if you know if you if you get into it there's a lot better rules teachers that can give you a better overview or exactly how the nuance works and there's the discord and reddit groups that are very very helpful and they were very helpful to me when i was learning the game as well too but um that's yeah that's that's kind of a quick overview i think i'm ready to just tell you what is so great about this game beyond the just the, the barebone mechanics overview right now dude that was an amazing like description of the game, and I think you just got promoted to host of our podcast. Uh, I don't know about that because I had like this game. I know like other games we play once. I don't know if I can like provide that same kind of content and, and enthusiasm. I guess maybe not. But the sound of your voice was so soothing. Thinking about like how to play that game. Yeah, if you listen, if, the episodes I host because I talk really fast. You might want to instead of playing our our audio at one and a half speed, you might want to reduce it to point seven five. Just it'll probably sound even better. 
<laughs> People only play at one and a half speed to get it over with faster. I know I do that all the time, but not for our not for our podcast though. I listed on <laughs> slow and repeat. All right, Dudley, give me what the one thing you love about Arkham or what you like. What what's the thing that you like the most about Arkham? I actually have three really big things. Wow, that that's two more than think. I know. I think there's three things that Arkham does better than any other living card game and any other, honestly, any game, period. Okay. So, number one, I think that they have probably the most interesting and well-thought-out campaign structure because Mm -hmm. whenever you play any campaign of Arkham Horror, the decisions that you make influence everything going forward. And it's not even just something like, add this card to your deck. That's part of it too, because as you gain, as you complete um, scenarios, you'll gain experience that you'll be able to spend on additional cards to build up your deck as the account as the campaign gets harder. You'll also be able to make decisions that actually have critical impact. Like even the games that we played when we played Path of Carcosa, I remember the decisions we made in just like the three games we played actually had a little bit of a ripple effect going through, and from the campaigns that i've played even something that we really enjoyed like descent the decisions that we made like Mm -hmm. didn't really even feel that significant like we never saw the ramifications of it but with arkham horror like the consequences of your decisions whether you succeed or fail in like rescuing a person are immediately apparent and i think that is so cool yeah like that part of the game is because you know when you play a learning game in the core box, you know, the, it, it teases it a little bit and that's, it's just designed to give you a taste of it. But once you jump into a full fledged campaign, like I did one on my second pass through with this game and finishing Dunwich, like I was very shocked at like what, 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 what kind of things transpired and how it changed the game. And then when I talked to like Mark and Melissa, like this happened in my scenario, they're like, Oh, that didn't happen in ours. And like, I was like, Whoa, it's like this game plays completely different. And then I've revisited each campaign at least two or three times now. And I still discover new things. And so that just like, this is hands down the best campaign game I could ever want because it, it, you, it's eight episodes each, you know, depending on the player count. I play at three. It's about an hour and a half to two hours per scenario. You can get a whole campaign done in 16 hours. Uh, you can usually play two episodes back to back if you're, you got some dedicated time, but you're going to finish a campaign a month, maybe even faster, depending on how fast you work through this content. And if you solo it, like I did a couple of times, I finished a campaign within a weekend once upon a time too. So it's the campaign's like the, that perfect balance of it gives you enough things to do, enough. And, and the decisions that you build up, the narratives that that comes that that spawns from it, just creates this really tight experience within a manageable time. Versus you know some games that do give you these options, other games, but they're like fifty-hour campaigns. Like for me, the decision I made, you know, from the first scenario might impact the twentieth scenario, but then it's been half a year since I've done it, so it doesn't hit the same compared to when I play Arkham. Yeah, I think that's ex- excellently stated because. The campaign's relatively short, so everything you do, you're gonna see the effects like within a week of playing. You know, mm-hmm. it's not even just the game time of the amount of time like that's passed in the game. It's like you play two scenarios this week, you play two scenarios next week. I guarantee you, within that week, you're gonna see the ramifications of any decisions or any successes or failures that you had in the previous scenario. Mm-hmm. And then, like you know, when you watch your favorite show, you know, like me and you we grew up in a time period where we you know we didn't have streaming like like we do it now like we'd watch something we're like oh dragon ball z this week 
Goku's about to fight Frieza, and then like they, he's about to set up an attack, and then it ends, and it goes to credit, and you have to wait another week for the next episode. Arkham gives me that same feeling too. So like whenever it was the their old release model was, um, they would release the the first initial core box, which is or for each campaign we get, you get two scenarios, uh, new investigators, and then you play from there, and then you finish two episodes, and then you sit there and wait for the next episode or the next scenario to play. Um, and since then they've changed it. Now they release it where you get uh all the investigators at once and then you get all the episodes at once which is great but so when you finish one of these episodes of the campaign or i keep calling it episode but they're scenarios it always leaves like in a, a cliffhanger and you want to play more or you want to know what happens and that's that's a really good feeling or that's i think that's a really good design how how it can just facilitate you creating like it feels like you're living and playing inside a tv show basically your experience with Dragon Ball Z was a lot different than mine because <laughs> when I used to watch Dragon Ball Z on Saturday mornings, every freaking episode was Goku doing sit-ups in the hyperbaric like space capsule. Like he's just flying through space doing sit-ups for like 30 minutes and then it's like join us next week on Dragon Ball Z as yeah. Goku does more freaking sit-ups. But then when they get to those boss fights, you're like, "Oh man, I want to know what happens." <laughs> so, that was number 1 and I will agree with you like by far the campaign structure the time of play the actual consequences like i've yet to play anything that remotely even comes close that was probably the most enjoyable thing about arkham horror the card game for me yeah i would list that as my number one reason why i come back to this game and why it is my favorite game because it offers that that campaign element with the with the really really strong narrative and you're pulling from lovecraft so they can really do some cool things with it um but just that narrative experience and then in that tight campaign setting that you can finish um relatively easily and that this game is by no means the most accessible game but as a campaign game i would say it's the most accessible campaign game you can play on the market i could see that all right number two my second favorite thing about arkham horror the card game is the deck building there has been no lcg well i guess i can't say that because my experience with lcgs just includes android netrunner uh arkham marvel i guess ashes rise of the phoenix porn and that I guess it is Summoner yeah wars yeah but the deck building in arkham is phenomenal like it's like some of the issues that from Marvel Champions that we talked about last week about like creating these characters that have like a thematic like disconnect between like your deck and what the hero wants to do or how you imagine them like actually doing things. Mm-hmm. That's kind of avoided with Arkham because the characters like unless you're really reading the lore and looking into what these personalities are like, they're fairly like, you know, anonymous, like like. I could play anybody and I could build the deck how I want to build. But one of the things that I think the game does really well is that, you know, there's the five classes of investigators and each investigator has a very specific um, build requirement. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, you know, you play Roland Banks and he gets uh, guardian cards, but you play like another uh, guardian and he might, he or she might have like dabble in some, I don't know, rogue cards or survivor cards and it yeah. changes how they play and it gives you like a uh, narrow focus so that the game kind of like pilots you into a certain play style with these characters without being thematically like disconnected from Yeah, it's not disjointed. What you're imagining. Yeah. Yeah, disjointed is the perfect word for it. 
and they have signature weapons too so they're the signature items that tie into their character and class which is really good yeah i really enjoyed the deck building like it was just really cool trying to come up with like interesting combos based on the number of cards that you're able to use from each uh each class of cards and also just the like the number requirements like the physical number of cards you can even have of each color really fascinating really fun to deck build in that game yeah so you bring up deck construction like this is why we work well together because yeah this is the second part of this game that why when i first played you know i fell in love with the campaign i was net decking early on i was playing just refined core decks so that i can get a feel and learn the game um but the once i learned how to play the game and i like when this there's there's potential here i started to the deck construction process and that just that's part of like the joy of this game too so elaborating a little bit more on how deck construction is designed in this game you have those five classes that they kind of mentioned there is multiple classes there's guardians survivors rogues uh, mystics and seekers um, they all diff- different things and they're good at different aspects that the game requires you to do so this game leans into that cooperative element versus marvel where you know you can you know we talked about that multi- multiplayer solitary a little bit uh in in marvel and that does manifest sometimes if you're in the mid game you're just trying to finish off the boss you're like you do this i'll do this but in arkham you're deck building is essential because if you're playing even solo you or not let's skip the solo part, but like in a group setting, you can be the best clue seeker of all time. But if you have zero capabilities to fight monsters and your teammates don't construct a deck or have somebody that can cover for that, then you're probably not going to do very well in the campaign. Uh, but going to the deck construction, so you know, if I know someone's playing Seeker and I'm playing a Guardian, I'm the Guardian's character will have signature. They, each, character, each investigator has a signature ability plus a signature item that's in their deck. And the deck is about... 30 to 35 cards depending on on what what the deck building restrictions are um and then from there you build the certain cards that that are, that they're allowed to build like certain guardians will can only use guardian cards and basic cards some guardians can use a little bit of the rogue cards like dudley said but now like the game where it is currently at the where the current state of the meta um they're folk they're shifting to more more of a hybrid um classes so like there are dual cards now where these cards are dev- only available to guardians and seekers where these cards are only available to seekers and mystics so that's open the deck building even more and keeping it thematic because they if you're if it's a secret card you know it's going to have some ways to help you clue if it's a guardian card it's going to have you some kind of monster management kind of deal and now you have a secret guardian card like it's a wow it's like this card like makes my seeker like have interesting ways like he'll find a book that he can if you have a, or a lot of you know if you're looking through like a tome of books you can somehow that tome can turn into a weapon for for a second there or because you find a spell in it or something i find that really cool with the thematic deck building because you know you there's all there's a plethora of weapons plethora of clue gathering materials a plethora of spells that you can add to your characters and and that lovecraft is you're not shoehorned into the superhero elements like you would be in marvel where like why would you know captain marvel use a you know pulse reactor or something like that it doesn't make sense but for you know just a normal human being trying to fight off forces of evil um with lovecraft and mythos like you find in a, a strong amulet that powers you up that's still super thematic yeah like it's building the decks for arkham horror was just so fun like the variety of stuff and the interesting combos that you can put together uh, not even just like on the onset of a campaign but as you level up through the campaign, you're gaining access to cards that you didn't have access at level one. 
So it's like your deck evolves and you're finding these really cool combos and like the variety of the things in the approaches you can take to each character is a lot different than what you would do with Marvel because, you know, with the 15 um, hero cards and the aspect cards, like you're going to kind of like look into a certain style of play anyway. Which is actually kind of like a minor uh, complaint that I have about Arkham. Which is interesting because you're talking about these hybrid classes that are out now. Mm -hmm. And that might be the kind of thing that completely alleviates this problem. But when I was playing Arkham with you, every character I built, I felt like the game kind of pushed me in a certain combo of like cards. You know, like I played Preston, I played Jenny Marsh, I played... um, Sister Mary sister mary and just based on their passive abilities plus their uh was it sacred relic or whatever their signature item, yes. item is yeah. yeah like it it felt like i only could build this way to be successful like don't get me wrong there are characters that have a much more like generic broad innate ability that kind of gives them a lot more freedom but I don't like Preston, you know, with his passive, like you have to build a certain way. Sister Mary, you have to take advantage of the curses and blessings. And it's just like the more I looked at the card pool and the survivors that were available, it almost felt like you didn't have as much choice in building that character as you would think, given the like the huge pool of cards. And it's really cool to hear that that may have changed. And also, you know, with the amount of experience that you've had in the game, maybe you've noticed that there are viable builds that kind of like aren't something that's your in the investigators pigeonholed into. Like I've only played Preston and Sister Mary, so please tell me if you think like there's other viable builds than the two decks that I built. And don't get me wrong, like my Sister Mary deck was terrible, but it was so fun to play. <laughs> yeah, well, the, that's her cycle wasn't finished yet when we were building her out too, so that was the problem that you're running into. And that's a problem with that old release model where you'd get your investigators, and then you would they would have you know some cards, and you're like, oh, this card has potential, but then because you know they've really you're waiting for the because each scenario that you used to buy would come with new cards for investigators and leveled up xp and stuff so as a result that would um you can't you don't know those cards until they spoil they spoil that me one or two weeks before it releases so when you see it you're like oh this this card would fit perfectly in my deck but you're like you're halfway through the campaign and you've maybe leveled up a different tech tree so it doesn't work as well but that problem that you have with the game was kind of an initial problem for me too. And it was more evident when I played solo two-handed because you needed, you know, the key, some of the core elements of the game was cluing and fighting monsters. And if you're a solo and you're trying to play a off the cuff class, like a survivor or rogue, like Preston, you had less access to clue gathering tools or more, or monster fighting abilities because the strong because you're not going to give a rogue a super strong weapon versus a guardian like it, it just for deck building and class wise you can't just have the best weapon in the game go to a rogue or anything like that but nowadays um that when when i first started playing that that was a problem because it really shoehorned you into certain builds for characters but um to your point now with the hybrid cards and the the classes they're they're more hybridy like for example tony who is a rogue is probably the best monster fighter like he's basically a pseudo guardian in the game but he actually but he plays like a rogue that can fight lots of monsters and he's one of my favorite characters to play as and there's also um i think there's a mystic or guardian that but she does uh she's she's 
a guardian or as Norman, he's he starts as a seeker and he turns into a mystic at the end of the, as he levels up, which is oh, dude, spoilers. <laughs> well, it's that's just how that's how you build his deck. He only has level one seeker cards, and then he can level up only with mystic cards. So that they've found a nice balance with the investigators and giving you that variety, and I think that's part of the the benefits of a living card game model because they found something that worked for them for a while, but it got stale and the game gets to evolve with the designers as they find new ways to approach the game. And, and as a big fan of the game, I'm getting to enjoy this evolution of the game right now. Like every time I played a scenario, I was like, this is really good. And then I play next one. Like, this is amazing. How can they top this? And so far they've exceeded my expectations um, constantly. Yeah. That actually leads me to my number three point. Uh, which is actually the scenario diversity. I remember when we were doing the Dunwich cycle and we got to the Miskatonic Express uh, scenario. Yeah. And like, it blew my mind how cool it was and how much they were able to do with just like a bunch of cards representing train cars, you know? And like, it felt so intense while we were trying to like fight our way through the train while simultaneously, like, literally it's just like a row of like four cards on the table and we're just like oh my god we got to get through this right yeah this the train like without spoiling it too much like that scenario is super dynamic and with all three of us you could just feel the dread like we're just trying to climb through the train getting things done while monsters are chasing us and just crazy unexpected whirlwinds of cults and everything like that was happening yeah it's like anyone that like starts falling behind and can't get to the next train car we're like we got to go back we got to help them (laughs) yeah so that's just that's just really cool like the the game will will give you you know i think we talked about it too with some older podcasts like um i never thought about it myself until i started thinking about how we were gonna talk about this episode and i can play a game you know a euro over and over and just you know try and find different ways to explore it but with arkham it's still a puzzle at the end of the day because you're trying to figure out what you can do and how you can manage the best of the situation. But the objectives that they give you change constantly. You One mission, you're trying to just rescue as many people as you can. Another mission, you're trying to gather all these clues so you can unlock something. Another mission, you're trying to grab enough scuba gear to, to set up another scenario. It's, it's just crazy how each scenario can just change how you play the game and approach the game completely. Like one scenario, you can feel like you're on top of the world. Like I'm, my character is designed for this. I'm going to carry the team. Next scenario, you're like a dead fish in the water and you're just trying to make sure you can, you pitch in what you can while the rest of your team helps you and you try to survive whatever encounter. Like that, that I thought that was really amazing in this game. Totally agree. Like that's probably one of the most stark contrast to Marvel champions. Like having played both around the same time, I was mm-hmm. like, man, I like the streamlined like mechanics of Marvel, but it was just missing that uniqueness to every scenario. And it's like, oh yeah, you know, each boss does something different. Ultron sends out minions and like, you know, Claw like scales up and like I think he like thwarts like crazy. I can't even remember anymore. He, he so starts long. drawing extra he starts drawing extra encounter cards and things like that. Yeah, and it's like those kind of changes do make the scenario feel different. But not in the way that Arkham does. Like, there's no comparison when it comes to, like, scenario diversity. It's like, you fight, you pull out 10 villains in Marvel, and ultimately your goal is to just kill the villain, you know? But you pull out 10 scenarios in Arkham, and each one is just like, wow, this is 
totally different. Like I have no idea what, how to beat this, you know, like that first play through every time must feel amazing. The blind plays are some of the best, but even revisiting it can be even more amazing with the return to sets. And like an example I can give is uh, my least favorite set um, was the forgotten ages initially. But once the return to set came out, it was pretty much on par with probably the top three for me. Like that's just the, their ability to revamp and just fix you know, certain mechanics or just tune it like that. It's just really good. But elaborating a little bit on your point with the the villains and like Marvel, like, you know, they, they'll, they'll have different special abilities just like your heroes and they'll, they'll change it up so they feel a little bit different. That's like a basic scenario in Arkham though, where they can just, because you're mixing in, you're building the encounter deck, you can just throw in these different enemies that comes with the scenario and they can have different, completely different abilities that completely change the state of the board. Like you're used to fighting these big monsters that, you know, will just hunt you down. Now you have these monsters that are passive, but if you don't take them out somehow or don't have a way of taking out, they're there draining your resources or they're causing you to be entranced and they just like change that the whole feel of the scenario just with very simple little adjustments in the counter deck like that so that's arkham is just that next step up and the fact that it has that campaign element where it's the even the monsters evolve with you is just really cool oh yeah totally agree it's like they saw ffg saw what they did with arkham and the whole system like the structure of that game is designed to create these like really unique and different scenarios with Marvel Champions, I'm sure during their research and development phase, they're like, you know what? We need to make this a lot more streamlined and make it a standalone experience, which it excels at. But having played both at the same time, man, I just remember playing Marvel and I was just like, I, I do even remember saying like, I wish that they would release a campaign similar to like what they do with Arkham, which is crazy to think about now since I obviously don't play either of those games anymore. <laughs> Yeah, like you know, Marvel like it can't do what Arkham does, and they all have their own place in time. Uh, it's just but the art, the Arkham campaign is just the way they have it is just perfect for that universe, with just the character building, the monsters, the lore that they can pull from a uh, from a uh, Lovecraft. It's just it just works really well for me. Yeah, I mean, it, hands down, the scenario diversity was just so fun. I love games like that where they give you a different win cons yeah my can't oh dude you know i love like unique win cons like that's, that's my jam that's like all arkham is <laughs> i know but you know now is the perfect time as any to go into why arkham didn't work for me okay let's let's hear it okay all right hold on i'm gonna stretch because this is gonna be this is gonna be a battle royale and it's gonna be the ultimate test of our friendship all right let me unrecord and mute you right now real quick and then just <laughs> How are you going to refute me if you don't listen to me? Uh, we'll just edit you out and be like, oh, he realized there was nothing. Bro, I do the editing. There's, there's no bad things. <laughs> All right. So let's start with the most obvious one. The Bag of Doom. The Bag of Doom. I think that the Bag of Doom combined with the general mechanics of Arkham creates a really unpleasant negative feedback loop. So for me personally, I like to play games because I like to be powerful. I like to be able to do things that I wouldn't be able to do in real life. I like to role play heroes and, you know, really cool, powerful things that are running around killing zombies and stuff. Arkham Horror is the exact opposite. I feel yeah, worthless. It would, I feel it would like not a, work. Yeah, I feel like a huge turd. Every single turn is just 
like struggling to survive and it's like a constant feeling of dread but not in a good way because the game wants to create tension by putting things on the line so we talked about this briefly with like like the decisions that we have to make in uprising where we know that things have to go a very specific way otherwise we fail you know and in arkham it feels like every time you have to make a decision, it's like a do or die situation. Because if you succeed, great. If you fail, like you're just spiraling towards like colossal failure. And the thing is, is like the game constantly bombards you with these scenarios that basically are pushing you to the limits of how much you're willing to commit in order to pass that not only is it one extremely punishing to overcommit but two even when you do overcommit the randomness the randomness of the bag with the auto fail then minus 4 could still screw you and now you're in a situation where you're trying to manage this risk and you think that you're safe but you're not and i understand that that auto fail has to be there because that's something that every player when they're playing has to have that fear of that auto fail to make the game kind of like go to the next level in tension. Creates that uncertainty. Yeah. But for me, that just felt bad. It was like constantly bad. Like I never like once felt like I passed this test. This is like a huge celebration. No, it was like, oh, I passed this test. Thank God. Now let's go fail the next one. Like there is no time to celebrate because you're already anticipating the next failure. Maybe if you built better decks, you wouldn't have that problem. Hey man, (laughs) if I wanted to net deck, then we're going back into the same problem that we did with Marvel. Yeah. No, it just gave me a hard time, but I could see that because I also lived that experience. My first playthrough of ever, my first ever play of Arkham gave me that same feeling because I remember Mark was teaching me the game. I he built a deck for me. I was learning to pilot it. I thought I was making a smart play. Drew auto fail. Next play, try to do something. Drew an auto fail. Next play, drew a minus four. Uh, failed the test. I was like, "What? I have three actions. I failed constantly. Well, like, what's the point of this game? Right? Like, it's it feels bad. Um, but sometimes you just once I played more of it, you can you can manage your risks just fine. Like. You know, if you're, you could, you could be, there are going to be great moments, like you said, where those, those auto fail moments or those moments where you're just struggling to get by those moments come less and less with experience. And that is a fault, a pro and a con to the game, because as you, the more time and effort you put into the game, like I have, the more rewards you, but at the same time for someone like you, who's only played a campaign and a half it, that feeling of like knowing the game managing the the decks, managing the the bag, that bag can feel like an albatross. And I felt it when I was learning the game as well too. But I, you know, having Mark and Melissa helped a lot because they showed me how to calculate the odds in the bag. And and it's just part of my nature to always kind of, I like to look at a game and figure out, like I like, like, you know, with Uprising, like we like to figure out what's the risk reward and kind of risk management. And that's in a cooperative game that that element shines through a lot. And, and the bag can be managed just like any other cooperative game, um, at least at the point where I am now, where I can we can play the game and you just know when to commit, when you need to go all in, when you don't need to go all in. Like this tech, you're going to fail some at some point. Like it's just make sure that you don't fail at the most crucial moment. 
Okay, so I actually agree with the majority of what you're saying because obviously with experience and replaying the scenario, you kind of have an idea of like what what situations where you're like, okay. Well, it's not even replaying the scenario. It's like just knowing the the core mechanics of the game because when you when you set up a scenario, it tells you what's going in that bag. So you know like what's the average you need to beat this test by. Like if you're like if you're skating if you're if you're committing your, uh, to a test that like say you're a guardian and you're committing to a, a clue test because you have what three lore and the test is a four and you're like I just need to win by one. I just need to draw even or win by one, but. The, your odds are still really bad at that point like you want to win by two usually on a check to give you some insurance but sometimes you're put in the situation where time's running out you're getting desperate and now you're you gotta really go all in and then if you fail it's like oh crap but like what led you to that situation was the consequences of multiple actions you took throughout the game already i get that but you literally just said it yourself it's like you know the average of the bag you know mm-hmm. what number you need to hit above to statistically come out on top over 50% of the time. Yeah. At that point, do you even have a choice of what you're doing? You know, if you know that the average modifier is a minus two, then you know that in order to pass 50% of the checks, you just need to go two over the required skill test. Yeah. Where's the, yeah. where's the decision making in this? Like, are you talking about as the game as a whole, like where, where the decision process is? Cause the game is all you know, the it time, all the time. Because even when we were playing, it was constantly like, I remember every time we had a skill check come up, it would just be a quick glance at the little card telling you what the breakdown of the bag is like, okay, it's a negative average of negative two, you know? Yeah. So it's like, okay, I'll go two over. And if I really want to pass it, I'll put one more. And it's like, there's no choice anymore. You know, it's like, I get what you're saying regarding like, oh, all the little decisions that you made led up to this point. But if you, if the number in the bag is open information, to me, I feel like that choice is like, it's inconsequential. I just need to play two over and then just 50, 50 it. If I really need to pass it, I'll play three over maybe 60%, 70%. There's no decision making there. And I feel like that's honestly kind of stupid because (laughs) one of the things that you know we talked about this being the number one thing i hate about the about arkham horror the bag is not in itself is not the problem it's the fact that you know what you need to win on average and knowing that number like the consequences of your decision are so much less because you just it's a numbers game at this point. So it's kind of like a rote exercise to me. Uh, I can see when you distill it down to that, I can, I agree. It, like the decision space feels like very, like you're pushed into like the skill check is you just got to beat it by that. And once, well, what gets you to that skill check is the key to what makes this game work really well for me, at least because when you're playing co-op, like you can, I can be the best seeker in the world. And I'm like, I'm going to go and destroy this test. And very likely I will, I might draw the auto fail. I'll recover next round. But just doing that, just focusing on that one thing, building to that one check, like, uh, like you're still, you're not going to, you're not helping the team. You're not, you're just trying to pass skill checks. Isn't this passing skill check is what helps you do certain things. But you still have to manage. There's a plethora of actions that you have to manage. You don't skill check when you move. You don't skill check when you are playing cards or anything like that. All those things you're doing impact the board state and how you're tackling the scenario. Because you might be, I'm just going to try to grab all these clues and try to avoid all these monsters the whole time and then go from there. But you're, the 
the I'm trying to see how I can explain the skill checks. The skill checks, like well, the skill checks, like they can be anticlimactic, especially like I said, like we're we're thinking about moving up to playing hard mode now because we build. I'd say pretty good decks for the most part, and you know when you when you play this game is also probably best at three because it gives you you can build your unique unique characters and have other people fill in the gaps. So it lets you really lean into your like I can build a person that probably destroys you know eight out of ten monsters half the time no problem. But I can if but I get to the boss fight and I still I need someone to help me with damage. Like I if I fail a skill check, I have to decide when to commit to surpass the the skill check and when I need the decision is when do I need to go all in on that skill check or when do I just you know hope hopefully I pass it or if I fail this puts me behind so there's still more than just like oh throw plus two here so I can guarantee I win it there's a chance I win it but I still have to consider what if I don't and how will this impact the team so I believe you on that I really do because with 200 plays the knowledge that you have about the like the deep mechanics of this game far exceed mine but you're talking about trying to talk to new gamers or not new gamers but like gamers that are interested in this game to tell them that of 10 plays that i put into this game that my general conclusion of the actual like the modifier bag whatever the token bag yeah like to me it distills down to here's the average i need i'll just play whatever i need to basically guarantee that i'll pass 50 percent of the checks if it's a really big check i'll put a couple extra ones if i can afford to that to me is not great decision making like yeah i understand moving around fighting monsters investigating those kind of things also factor into the cards that are available into your hand ends up being kind of like a hand management situation where you're trying to prepare yourself for these skill checks yeah it's 100 hand management too oh yeah but at the same time it's like you know it's so boring just to the point that you just made you're gonna get to the boss monster and you know you have to go all in in order to be able to beat it and then you draw the auto fail and now you just blew everything to try to finish this and just by sheer unfortunate luck you failed and that could tank your game and to me it's not necessarily a fault of this one isolated situation it's just like a constant compounding of negative like negative effects, you know? It's like you can only do so much in order to scrape by. And knowing that the average like uh bag token value gives you an idea of what you need to contribute to just kind of like stay on par for the course. But at any time a 50-50 is still 50-50. Sometimes you run into a string of bad luck and you just fail, fail, fail. And then on top of the auto fail on like a really big event, it's just terrible. It just feels bad. And it's just like this constant negative effect cycle that you're just constantly trying to get through. And the game ends up feeling more about just managing whatever your hand is and trying to mitigate the amount of risk that you're willing to take and how much you're willing to contribute in order to pass without just completely tanking your hand or your future plays future turns yeah um you're right about that feeling sucking because with all my plays it happens more you know not more often than not but it happens enough where you it happens on turn three of you know the game you're like oh how do i recover from this 
but it's it's a Lovecraft game. It's Arkham Horror. Like, and, and if I was playing, it was like a Marvel, and they created if this system was implemented in Marvel for fighting bosses, it would feel terrible. But for Arkham, it fits the game because you're fighting. You're just normal human beings in a mystical world full of threats everywhere with ancient elder ones. Like I should not expect to go in with my even my pimped out rocket launcher and shooting at the elder one 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 shot ko or have him down to half his hp on the, you know one check if i fail it's because you know it's kind of like there's forces at hand that you can't control and the negative rng is if you're role playing and playing the game it's perfectly thematic for it but the joy like you know the bag is like not the you know any game with rng you know i'm a euro player i not i don't detest rng i i embrace it too when it when it's mitigate when you can mitigate it and arkham gives you multiple ways to mitigate it in general already um so with these boss fights that you were dealing with or not even boss fights even just these hard skill checks you you have so many ways to approach it and tackle it that i don't feel like when those really bad moments happen where it chains together it's i still feel like this is the game just giving it to me right now but if i play my cards right i can get out of it it's not like in our uprising game where like we have this one there you're gonna run some key pivotal moments but like in uprising you just felt like you always had to make the close to the perfect play or with most most minimal mistakes each play with arkham you're gonna get beaten down but coming out of that beat down to recover and come back is like some of the best feelings a game can create and the bag lends to it i, I don't want to defend the bag 100 because it's still you know, like you said, it's just you. You're you can just really make you feel bad, and if it snowballs from there, it can feel extra bad. But like with a a good story, you don't want to feel powerful the entire way through. And learning to live with the bag and manage it, it just adds to that Lovecraft, you know, I guess misery. I guess, but I I love it. Like I I won't say I love the bag. It's just I it's part of the game, and there's so many ways to work around it that. It still creates these really create very strong thematic moments for for us when we play, because there's no there's nothing like an underdog where you're like, oh, I am near death. This is like how we're, this is we're gonna lose, but then you claw your victory out, kind of like we do with Uprising. That happens every campaign for Arkham for us, and like how do you like there's no game that can replicate like if you can do you know arkham when we play uprising that's a four-hour game when we play and it's great and i love it but with arkham you're gonna get these moments almost not every scenario but every other scenario where you're just this bag hates me today i don't know what i'm gonna do but then you have your teammates to lean on and or you draw something amazing your signature item comes out of clutch time and you just inch by inch claw your way back to getting that that victory or completing the objective like it's just i, I it just feels amazing See, I think that's where I have the hardest time, like, embracing the bag. Mm -hmm. Because I don't look at the theme and see it as, like, an excuse for the bag to being, like, a subpar mechanic. Well, would you prefer to roll dice? Because I I played Eldritch Horror, and it gave me the same tension. But when I failed the dice roll, like, I think that's how you feel about the bag is how I feel about rolling dice in a game, like, for this for skill checks. So, see, the difference with, like, dice and, like, the bag we kind of come back to talking about this with like a little bit like Wonderland's war, you know? Yeah. Like the act of rolling dice is just as much RNG as the bag. Correct. But the difference is, is like when you roll the dice, you might have a mathematically like a certain percentage chance of passing like whatever skill check, you know? But the thing is, it's like statistics. It's like, it's never going to be 
like a hundred percent, you know, it's not an absolute, you know, you might have a one in 12 chance of drawing the auto fail or one in 14 chance, but it doesn't mean that statistically you're not going to draw it like multiple times in a row. You could. Yeah. Same thing with dice rolls, but for whatever reason, dice never feel bad for me. It's like, I think that's the opposite. I for don't me. like dice see, feels it, bad. That's, when that's you... the craziest thing. Like to me, it's like, Usually you're rolling multiple dice. So if you fail on, you know, three dice rolls, like say you need, I don't know, a 10 and you fail on three dice rolls, it sucks, you know, but 10 is very achievable with three dice. Like you should be able to get close to it. Yeah. But uh, the problem with Arkham Horror is it's not a linear probability you know dice are always going to be one through six and you roll a certain amount you know what the probabilities are arkham horror has a scaling probability of negative ones negative twos negative fours auto fail that aspect alone changes it for me because your percentage of drawing something might be an average of two but it could be heavily weighted towards you know negative ones or it could be heavily weighted towards negative fours and it's just like like that swinginess in the bag is not something that feels good as far as like failing randomness you know like the randomness from dice roll is always going to be somewhat predictable versus the bag even with an average it's still unpredictable and it makes it very unpleasant to fail at versus dice for me does that make sense Mm, kind of can you like elaborate a little bit more on like the unpredictability of pulling from a bag versus dice because i feel like the predictability are about equal um if anything more manageable the probabilities are much easier to calculate with the or it's more visible or you can you can visualize your probabilities much better with that bag than you can do when you're rolling dice like you know when i have when i'm rolling three dice it's like i have to hit a six or something because you know like it's not usually like when you some games you know like D, you'll add up your dice or but with elder chores what i i my arkham experience was prior to arkham that's what i'm kind of basing this off of is like you have to roll a six to hit a five to hit and you know playing eclipse last week you know we had one battle where they just kept rolling threes and fours the whole time until someone finally got a hit and like watching a dice roll just does not it just doesn't do anything for me really i guess unless it's like uh, exploding dice or dynamic dice with you know different different stuff on it like that but where i don't really calculating odds on dice just doesn't feel it makes me disconnect from the game more than pulling these from the bag because once i know the bag you can kind of go i can go by feel off of it i guess versus dice for some reason it's just dice become makes the game more abstract to me versus pulling from that bag and, and both are abstract but I don't know why, for me at least, I don't have the exact words to how to describe why the bag feels more satisfying than rolling dice for this game at least. Yeah, I don't think there. I don't think there can be words because I think it's just how you feel. feel. Yeah. Because like you said, you know, you need a five or six to hit. Each dice has a thirty-three percent chance of rolling a five or a six. You know that statistically, if you roll four dice, you might get two hits. You know. Yeah. But like with the bag, I guess what thinking about as we're talking with the bag and how you play your character, if you're committing to checks that you're not built for and that's where it can snowball versus if you're good at something, you know, you occasionally the monster will, it's, it kind of gives it, makes it feel alive to me at least, or I'm using a monster, but it could be cluing. Um, 
because you went down the wrong path and this check was supposed to be easy, but then all of a sudden the game throws a curveball and you fail that check and now you trigger a haunted keyword where a monster pops out because you failed that check and it was a trap or something like that. That still works in this game, at least for me, because it's like, okay, I thought because you don't know you're still fumbling around as a human being trying to figure out these, you know, forces beyond comprehension and you thought you were doing something right, but then it turns out it did not work out as planned. And now you have a host of problems to deal with and it still lends in the game. It, it doesn't feel bad. It just feels like, okay, uh, I'm still in over my head. Now I got to figure out what to do next. And, and uh, for the game, this theme, it works. See, hearing you say this, I, I'm literally on the opposite side of the spectrum as you, because to me, it honestly feels like the bag is a bad mechanic that's leaning on the theme as an excuse for its failures of generating RNG. How else? I don't know how else it would, a game like this would function it need this game needs rng for it to be i'm a, not saying i'm not saying that there is a better way to do it i'm saying that i don't like the way that it's done you know it's like to me pulling the chips out of the bag in a large enough sample size you're probably going to get the average that you're anticipating you know but we all know how small the sample size is relative to the number of tokens in the bag and it sucks because the, I guess the nonlinear trajectory of the values in the bag are something that you can't anticipate. And it leads to a lot of failures, which also leads to a lot of feels bads. Like failing in dice is anticipated because you know exactly what the dice values are at all times. You know how many dice you're rolling. You know whether or not you have a good chance of passing or failing. The, the dice will still fail you. You know, that's just what RNG does. Well, if you don't want the RNG, like the game is maybe early on. Uh, I don't remember there being as many ways. But to, when you play on hard, especially as I've dabbled and we've dabbled playing on hard mode, I don't think we'll ever get to Nightmare. The trick to the game is if you don't like the RNG, build a deck that doesn't do skill checks. And you'll still have to deal with some, but you minimize that feels bad if that's the problem the game is is customizable you you can still have ways of playing like you you know you have to find ways to generate resources play cards to you know pass or achieve your whatever aim or whatever you're trying to do your actions that you're trying to do uh, but you can ignore the skill checks and then that becomes kind of i guess a little more like marvel where you're playing your cards and trying to figure out what to do but it's still there's just it i don't see it as i i can see the bag the bag is still it's not perfect um but it it's just part of the game. And I think anyone that loves Arkham like me, we just, we embrace it for what it is. It's you just simp, you <laughs> simp for the bag. <laughs> yeah, I, I simp for the bag. No, I mean, like, I'm not, I'm not trying to convince you that you don't like the bag. I don't, like, that's not what I'm trying to do at all. I'm just trying to explain, like, why the bag in itself is a bad mechanic and it's just leaning on its theme to excuse its nonlinear like probabilities you know that's it it's like when you're when you're asking me why dice don't feel bad it's because it's a linear probability that i can anticipate and calculate at all times i can never calculate the bag even with an average of like say negative two value in the bag you'll draw a negative four you'll draw an autofill you draw a negative three there's just no way that you can anticipate this swinginess and that's what the game uses to generate like catastrophe mm -hmm. and also subsequently t like tension in that aspect of failure 
but it doesn't feel good. It's like, like the, the bag itself does not lend to strategic decisions. And the bag is such a big part of my own personal perceived enjoyment of the game that it kind of just made the experience just unfun. You know, it's like the thematic part was really cool. Don't get me wrong. The way the scenarios played out, super interesting. But every time I went to the bag, it was just like, like no matter how much planning I would do, it, it's it's hard to anticipate, which is fine because thematically, like you said, everything is very uncertain. There's forces at work. To me, kind of a cop out, you know, like I get it. It's thematically appropriate, but it doesn't make for like engaging gameplay for me because the majority of the time I'm just trying to hit the average and just try to go above it maybe by one. And then just like we talked about, the swinginess of the bag plus the chance of auto fail, it's just a constant bombardment of like RNG that just doesn't feel good. You know, it's like I love RNG. I'm the trashiest player in the world. <laughs> yeah, you should love I this love bag. Rolling just, dice. Yeah. But the RNG in Arkham Horror is just so unsatisfying. Even like you said, you could create a character that doesn't use skill checks. It's like, why am I handicapping my enjoyment of this massive, very expensive, huge amount of content game? Because I don't want to deal with the main mechanic of RNG like in this game. Like, no, that's never going to happen. I would never recommend anyone do that if they're interested in picking up this game. And it's like, okay. You could play on an easier setting. Sure, that's fine too. But I'm not arguing whether or not that the game is playable or not with this. I'm really just trying to express how that particular mechanic made me feel while I was playing it. It's it's definitely a mechanic that's like like you said, creates a, a lot of can create a lot of feels bad. And it's definitely uh, off putting for anyone that doesn't want to or have the interest of diving deep into the game like i can see that being a problem for some people including yourself yeah i just don't think that it's a good mechanic for this game like i really don't there's got to be a better way i just don't know what it is the only thing that you're saying like you can't calculate the odds and like you're it's swinging i i i remember feeling that way too and i like i said i have 200 plays so that's a big could be a barrier but like if i played with a new player i can help someone like the odds of the bag are actually extremely easy to calculate for for it's called quarterbacking johnny well i could tell you the odds like well like if you know the highest modifier is a four and your skill check is three v four then just win by two there's nothing in the like or if it's three v four and you draw a minus four for example so therefore you need to when you need to get to an eight to pass your odds of passing if you get your skill to an eight versus that four is going to be 90 nine percent or 92 percent the only thing that will get you in the bags auto fail for me when i'm calculating odds like that it feels more satisfying than just looking at a dice and a bunch of numbers like i i, I just feel like okay my character is beefed up to a six i have a good chance of passing this test so i can if i really this is a test that is crucial let's try to pass it if i fail um i did my best so that feels that that feels good versus like you're rolling you're just like okay i have a beefed up character i'm just gonna roll dice i roll all zeros like that, that feels really bad or roll like just short of what i need like i have much more control over that skill check than i do if i'm just using pure dice so that's okay, i think that's why i like your question then you say you have more control but where's the strategy here where's the decision making in this you know you say like oh i know that the highest modifier is a negative four 
I have a like a skill of three. All I need is an eight to pass. The, the decision has been made for you. It's really just a matter of how much you want to pass this test. So now you just you just took away one of the key points of any kind of game that we play is meaningful decision making. It is a meaningful decision though, because like you, you when you commit the card when you're playing, you're you only draw one card around unless you have a way to replenish your hand, or you can take an action to draw a card. Every card that if you to get from that three to eight, you're committing probably at least two cards unless you have a really good skill card that you've leveled up into. So you're committing your whole hand. You're like, okay, I can dump my whole turn into this if it's I can dump everything into this turn to pass the skill check and will this advance the scenario no or if i advance if i do everything right now and i advance this, this scenario or a objective one of three and then when you usually advance the, the the narrative in the campaign bad things happen now do you want to do that right now um my teammates all the way across the board if i pass a skill check and we spawn monsters and they're lead investigators there's there's just a lot of things to calculate and we're not calculate but just to discuss and the table talk is great when I play because my actions have a direct consequence on my teammates. It's not where, okay, let me go do my thing and you go do your thing. And that's one we're, we're talking about a lot of the actions. I'm literally just talking about the bag. <laughs> like I get, I get there's a lot of stuff that goes on that has a huge impact through the thing. But like literally all I got from what you described to me was, you know what you need to pass. You just need to decide how much you need to pass. And all you have to do is look at if this is a good time to do it. So to me, the decision-making is done for you. Do I need to pass? Everyone says yes. Okay, here's a plus four. All right, hopefully I'll pass. And then you just like went all in on this and you still have a chance of an auto fail. I don't see where the fun is in that. I don't see, I don't even see where the strategic decision-making is in that. It's literally just so cut and dry as far as like what you need to do. And I'm not arguing that the stuff that you do leading up to this moment can be hugely varied and very strategic. But like just this exact moment of just knowing what you need to pass is so lame. Like it's like, you know, and like you said, I have a 92% chance of passing. If I contribute five skill to this, as long as I don't draw an auto fail, there's no, there's no strategy there. What, like, what is this? Like, what are we doing? It's literally just, like throwing your tokens in the bag and just hoping for the best like there's nothing there for me yeah i I don't have a counterpoint to that beyond that point like you know either you like you know if you either you you can you live with the bag or you it like you you know it takes away from detracts you from the game um for me it it just doesn't it's there and i it doesn't really impact me negatively or positively i guess yeah, it's. I, I think the best way to say it is die with the bag or live long enough to see you become the bag. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I am the bag now, I guess. I know, but it's like, I don't want to harp on this. Yeah. It's just like, I think we're spinning I, the wheels I, a little bit at this point. It's just that. For sure. I just could not get my point across clearly. And it was like, you kept coming back to like, oh, you could do all this stuff that could like lead to all these decision makings. I'm like, I'm literally just talking about the bag. I mean, what the bag is, <laughs> it's, it ties into everything else. It's not, I don't feel like the bag is the main mechanic of the game though. The game is a campaign game with all this like your ex- yes. exploration and- absolutely and I, I i i touched upon that i said that like you know the scenario design is super great but like you just said the bag encompasses everything the bag is not the game but the bag dictates how the game goes and if you're not comfortable with this mechanic like i'm not the game is not going to feel good 
no matter how interesting Miskatonic Express was to me, like from a mechanical perspective of moving around and dealing with these threats, every time I go to the bag, I'm always just like, this is the worst part of the game. I wish that they took Arkham Horror, had all the deck building, all the thematic elements, all the incredible scenarios, and just figured out a different way to handle the RNG of the skill checks. And I think I'd be 100% all in on this game still. That's my biggest problem. I think that's a good point because um, that bag is, if you don't learn to live with it like I have, and me hating it initially in the beginning as well too, or if you have a Euro background like myself where you like strategic games, open information, and really want to be in control of your decisions, that bag, like Dudley says, is it's going to throw a wrench in it, but the more as we could talk a little bit more the more the, the good stuff in this game um can make me overlook that that mechanic because it's one of many 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 mechanics in this game that um that you know it's it's a weaker mechanic it's the we- i would agree with you that it's probably the weakest mechanic in the game but the game has so much going on for it that it can offset like no game's perfect right or this game is closest this game is close to perfection as i can think of for you yeah for me you know there's no perfect <laughs> game for everybody right <laughs> yeah i know all right, so I think we've gone on long yeah, enough. Let's move on about this stupid bag. Sorry, I was hosting. I I should have I should have pushed him past this. I should have just said, "You're right, Dudley. No. The mechanic, the bag is the weakest part of the game." No, it's not. It's not about me being right or wrong. I mean, I know I'm right, uh. but it's just a matter of fact of being able to convey what I was trying to like describe about how I felt about the bag to everyone else. I'm not trying to convince you. You're already all in on this. No, game. no, you're but trying to. You're trying to convince me to get back in. Nah, I don't need you anymore for LCGs. You're not an LCG guy. You're you're trash guy. Remember, bro. I was. I had the most LCGs out of the two of us. <laughs> but look at you now, zero. Yeah, zero because LCGs suck. No, but like just talking about it, it's you know you know I'm so in love with Arkham Horror and I I overlook its flaws and but if I'm recommend this game, I, this is a good point that you've made. Like that bag is. It, you know you ten if you play it 10 times like you have you should know if that bag is something you can live with or not like you know you play once okay eh, i'll try it again but if you've played it like you it's like that bag is something you can't live with this game is not for you like don't buy this game because it's going to be a money pit and if you're if you think you're going to learn to love the bag after 10 plays eh, i don't know about you but nope <laughs> like for me after let's see first play hated it second play mm, i'll live with it or not live with it but I think around halfway through Dunwich is uh, was when we did you know when we get to that train mission that we talked about Miskatonic Express. I was like, okay, this game is great. Uh, I'll live with the bag if I get this kind of content. And you know, I'm a couple thousand dollars later. Here I am. <laughs> I you know I honestly I can't disagree with that take because like you said, your favorite games. It's so easy to overlook like some minor flaws. And to you, the bag is a very minor flaw. To me, it wasn't, and that's what ultimately got me out of it but that's not the only thing and like we got to move away from this bag okay. we're holding too many bags like, we gotta we gotta oh, let man, the bags i'm go. still holding bags from 2020 bro <laughs> <laughs> all right so number two of my grievances with arkham horror so did you know that arkham horror lcg is the number one rated thematic game on bgg i did not 
It is. I actually, I don't know if it is or not. I know it's number one for customizable. I think it's actually number one for thematic too. But my mic is so sensitive, I can't. I don't even dare touch the computer right now. So we're gonna have I to will, come back and look at this later. I will don't do you it. do it? I already did it. It is number one customizable, number twelve thematic. Okay, number twelve. That's still pretty respectable, right? Out of thousands of game, I would say so. I've got the hottest take for you. Lay it on me. Yeah, lay it on me. You know I'm going to refute it. I don't think Arkham Horror is very thematic at all. Okay, explain. All right, so here's the thing that I have with Arkham Horror, and it's theming. I think that the game does a good job of, of applying its theme through all the cards in your deck, through the events, through the Mythos deck, through the monsters that show up, even through the location cards of every single game that you play. What about the story too? Narrative. Oh yeah, the story is very thematic. Narrative is great. Probably like for how relatively little writing there is for an entire campaign, it's all exceptionally well done in my opinion. Much better than like a lot of games. Like even Stars of Icarios with its like 300 page <laughs> like story binder, like the the writing in Arkham Horror was way better. Mm-hmm. But here's my thing. I have a hard time struggling with trying to do all these really unique scenarios when a lot of the times the test to get to the next part is gathering clues and this feels extremely abstract to me it's like i get that the theme comes in through the cards you know you hold a pickaxe and you hold a fire extinguisher like you know like you have these items that thematically are appropriate given the cards but a lot of the times i feel like the cards and the theme on the cards acts as a a very good veneer over what is relatively an abstract game of just going in and collecting clues it's like when you really well let me rephrase that when i try to distill this game down into its bare bones it is a bunch of investigators moving around a map made of cards the locations okay they're thematic but honestly does it really matter it's like you could call a library a library you could call it a you know graveyard i don't care it's just a card with a certain number of clues that i need to get off of it And unless I can get these clues off of it, I can't advance to the next part of the story or the scenario or the locations. So to me, every game is broken down into just moving around and collecting these clues. And the game will just throw threats at you. As far as I know, these threats could be very abstract. They could be just cards with numbers and values that you have to overcome. All the skill checks... Also a relatively abstract thing. I get that you can make the thematic connection because let's say, you know, your event, your mythos card is like, oh, uh, leap over this chasm, do an agility check of like four. And if you pass, you know, you do it. If you fail, you break your leg, whatever. But it still feels like a, like the the theme and thematic elements is just layered on to a very abstract game does that make any sense kind of but i don't like the game mechanically is a card game that it's it's an elaborate card game versus you know that feels like a board game so it's it's 
as thematic as a card game can be without having miniatures, terrain, uh, app management, or you know, big hulking presence on the board. I think the cards do make the you know, laying down a card makes it feel a little more abstract because you, when you play the game, you feel like it's a you still at the end of the day it's still playing a card game but this game what elevates it is that while i'm playing these cards i'm i'm doing things on these cards i'm moving my investigator i'm exploring like you said getting clues that feels more like a board game and that's what makes it so much more thematic than uh any other card game out there for me at least i agree i think that the cards like the actions on the cards are the most thematic part of the game because you know you think about dynamite blast and it deals five damage in your room and five damage for what every adjacent room you know that 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 makes sense thematically speaking i think that the theme comes from the cards yeah you know, and like which that's, makes sense that's but, the strength of the game this you're getting a thematic experience with just pure cards but the mechanics don't feel thematic to me and that's the problem that I have with the game. And I, I don't know if I'm the only one that feels that way. Like, I'm, I'm genuinely not trying to convince you. Yeah, I understand. To see my side. I'm actually looking for, I guess, like, clarity on this. Because to me, when I play Arkham Horror, if, like, so this is a me problem. I know for sure. Like everything I else? I have a hard time. Like what? Like everything else? I mean, well, yeah, of course. <laughs> it's, I'm definitely the problem for most of these games. <laughs> but, like, I think for me, I I have to have uh, the theme show through the mechanics and not just through cards. And it's like, I, I notice this more on card games than I do with board games. I agree. Because, like, something about Arkham, every time I play, I always felt like all I really needed to do was just collect clues or uh, yeah, clues. Like I had to go to different locations, collect clues. It unlocks another location. Then I go there, collect more clues. Like the whole game is just collecting clues. And while you're collecting these clues, all these monsters are coming at you, random skill checks. Those all seem kind of superfluous to the actual mechanics of the game. Like, yeah, combat is a mechanic and, skill checks are a mechanic like i i get that i'm not saying that it's not like part of the game but the core thing of all the scenarios that i've played all involved gathering clues is that consistent through all the content that i haven't explored like all the other stuff that you've played is gathering clues still a main part of progressing through the next next part of the scenario or what is it the doom counters yeah, it's a it's it's the it's a core mechanic in the game, and you know every scenario is going to have some clue gathering. Like it could be objective one of three. The first is you you have to get these clues so you can figure out what what's happening in the scenario, and then you go to second objective, and now this objective is holy crap! You know this they have a hostage. Go f- get that hostage, defeat the m- enemies, and try to get to the end of the room before everything floods, and you're just moving escaping monsters are, are popping out of the water and you're not focusing on clues anymore clues are part of the game and it, and it always will be and it needs to be because once again we are thrown into this universe each campaign is a different you know different time period whatever and you're trying to figure out what what's going on in this this campaign like what's what's the force of evil doing what are you doing so to me it's thematic because like if you if you took me out of this podcast right now threw me into a lovecraft universe like 
what am I going to be doing? I'm going to be trying to figure out what the heck is, yeah, cry and probably, you know, let's give up. Uh, but I need to figure out what's going on. And the clues, that's like, it's extremely thematic for me, at least. I know it, mechanically, it's still just, you know, you'll find this location, you check to see what the skill is. That part is abstract. But as a core mechanic of the game, you have to find clues because you, you're in this universe, you don't know what's going You're just... Like you are the investigator that doesn't know what's going on. You're trying to investigate and figure out what's going on. So you can't just be like, "Hey, let me draw a card and it tells me what to do." Like you need to explore that. Ex- it, the clues is part of the exploration mechanic of the game for me, at least. Mm-hmm. I guess like really the biggest thing uh, is just the clues. Just like you said, it feels really abstract to me. Like you're there collecting these clues, but the clues don't actually do anything. They're just tokens. False. And That's like, false. I don't. But I don't mean that in like the physical sense. It's like you just need to collect X amount of clues and then you get to progress the story. Yeah. Well, what would you like? I guess what you I think the thematic time you would need, I guess, is like you would need to turn this card over and then you would need it would tell you to make a choice or like give you information to decipher yourself. Is that what yeah. you, is that what you're looking for? Yeah. And I because don't spoilers, think it's reasonable they do that. to expect. Oh, awesome. <laughs> But like, I mean, I, like I said, I've only gotten like barely one and a half campaigns played. So my, my experience on this is very minimal, but I'm talking more from a perspective of people who are listening to this and is like, maybe I do want to play Arkham Horror. Let's hear what these two sides have to say about this. And for me, like one and a half campaigns uh, played probably costs hundred bucks. No, dude. I would I'd say like a whole block is a hundred bucks now, isn't it? Uh, well, no, because nowadays don't. Well, let me think. The you'd need a revised core, which is about sixty bucks, and then mm-hmm. you would buy an investigator pack, and then and then you would buy the campaign pack, and those about forty fifty each. So you have one hundred fifty if you can get them on online below MSRP. Yeah. Okay, so let's say I got the full Dunwich and full Carcosa cycles. I spent two hundred and fifty dollars. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want people to spend $250 and to get 10 plays and still just be like, I'm not sure about this. You know, like I, it seems unreasonable for me to expect anyone to spend thousands of dollars in order to get the full experience game to a point that where I would find it enjoyable, you know? And it's like, like the thing that you described sounds really cool. Like I want to explore this. I think about exploring this, but for me to get to that point is just, I'm so far behind. And we talked about this, like kind of like the modularity of what you want to buy, what you need to buy. But in our next episode, talking about the LCG model in general, can't wait. There's going to be a lot of stuff about that, that I'm going to be very unhappy with as well. But anyways, like my point is, is like, I don't know if it's just because it's a card game. I think I, 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 I'm listening to you talk. I think your biggest obstacle that is, is because it's a card game. And it's thematic as it can be for a card game. But what you're looking for is like a nemesis thematic experience. And I don't think yes. I, I don't think any card game can ever achieve that. Like I, I've yet to experience a card game. And this is me with Arkham as my number one game, most thematic game I've played. Um, nemesis can be super thematic. I don't want to jump into Nemesis is thematic whenever I've played it with you guys and I want to get back to it. But mechanically, that game, as thematic as the mechanics are, its decision-making process in that one doesn't feel as good for me compared to Arkham. So it just depends on what me- it depends on what mechanic you um, like. What, what mechanics you like? You know, I like worker placement, but I hate you know push your luck. 
So it's just if you a card if you are a card game player uh, and you that's the what you like to play in games and you want a thematic experience without having to you know bust out thirty minutes to set up a a tainted grail campaign or something, Arkham could be something up your alley. Maybe I don't know. It just so depends. Let me ask you then: What would you say? Because I think you like you just looked into my soul and just pulled out what I've been trying to get at like for the last 10 minutes. <laughs> Thank you. I'm your host today, Johnny fan. <laughs> Dude, that was, that was a pretty amazing comparison because you're right. Like when I think about a thematic experience, I think about nemesis where I'm walking room to room. I'm exploring each room. Each room has something different that you can do. And I have like a hand of cards that all do different actions. And I'm just trying to like make everything work and fulfill my objective. Why does that game feel more thematic than Arkham Horror to me? Like, I, I honestly don't know. And since you've played Nemesis as well, do you, like, you made this connection. Like, what is it about Nemesis that feels more thematic to you than Arkham does? Or would feel more thematic to you, I guess I should say. I think for Nemesis, the mechanics don't feel as thematic for me. You have these hand of cards. Um, you move around, you make noise and everything like that, but... I don't feel like those cards are too much consequences to me because whatever I do can probably be disrupted by another player that walks in the same room or, or something else triggers or RNG from rolling that dice when the monster comes in from noise or something like that. And it just takes, like, I don't feel like I have any agency in that game versus Arkham where my decisions have a, I, I mean, like you have more plays and you understand the rules better for Nemesis and you can probably tie it in better. And I need a more complete play of it, I guess, too. Uh, but that's that's my disconnect from from nemesis compared it's, to arkham it's it's a totally different game because like i like to tell people that nemesis is a party game yeah you know yeah. like that's, I, that's why i'm interested again nemesis to win yeah no one plays well let me rephrase that people who enjoy nemesis shouldn't play to win they should play to have fun and just live out this like scenario yeah but for some reason it's like whatever the mechanics are in nemesis it feels more alive than the mechanics for arkham is because like i still can't quite explain where the disconnect is are you a fan of the ridley scott alien movies like when you're growing up do you watch a lot of no, those okay i didn't even watch those until after nemesis came out and did you enjoy them then i thought they were pretty cool okay i was just curious because yeah. i think the ip um or how you you know, every every universe IP appeals to everyone differently. Me and you are a little burned out on Marvel MCU as a whole, but I still enjoy Marvel. And I think your burnout on MCU probably sours you a little bit on Marvel Champions as well. Um, and then uh, I don't have much Lovecraft experience. I never read the books or anything like that growing up. But Arkham, when I play it, the and just reading the, the lore as I go through it, it just makes sense. And it's just thematically for me, it enhances the game for me when i play everything everything i do in that game serves to enhance the lore i guess or it makes sense in that universe versus games that either i don't understand it or an ip i don't care about i can't make that connections to the mechanics as great as some mechanics can be and then that's when you lose you get that thematic disconnect and i think that might be the problem that you have too because i don't think you care about lovecraft universe in general right you're not Cthulhu. Well, uh, not particularly. I care more about Lovecraft in the sense of playing games because I we both love Cthulhu. Death may die. Yeah. So it's like Lovecraft is somewhat significant to me. But you're right. I don't have any particular attachment to it. They probably could have reskin DMD to like 
almost anything and i probably would still enjoy right. the mechanics. marvel zombies with the dmd mechanics or something like that would have been great dude that would have been a billion dollar campaign uh, oh man i would have been right there with a two-foot thanos <laughs> next to jack oh man it's a, it all it blurs it all blurs together you know it's just the theme has to be something you care about it ha- mechanics have to resonate with you in a certain way and you know this game for me ended up resonating and for you, you obviously from our talk like it didn't resonate the same way it did for me and that's okay yeah. I think that's fair to say. I don't think that it needs like some kind of like technical breakdown of why this theme just could not connect to me. Yeah. Like you 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 hit the nail on the head. When I play Nemesis, I feel like I am in a spaceship and I feel like I am exploring and I feel like I am trying not to die. When I play Arkham Horror, I feel like I am collecting clue tokens and these clues are not thematically appropriate for what i'm interpreting from this game and i don't know if it's because the relative amount of art is a lot smaller you know like just having that one little picture of a monster or a room it's not thematically uh immersive enough for me compared to like a sprawling board of the ship and the alien miniatures and like moving room to room with the tiles and stuff like that like, I think it must be an aesthetic thing. And I, I just have to chalk it up to that because I honestly don't have an explanation for it. I actually have one but because one of- I'm your doctor. Uh, your vision, you know, you, you, we always talk about when we play games, and both for us, you're like, uh, I can't. This is a HIPAA violation. I'm not saying any so medical you know? information. I'm just saying you always complain about, oh, this, I can't see this, or it's like, this glare. Can you just tell me what that would take me out of a game if I were you? Because if you can't see what's on that card, that's across. Because you know, some of the bu- map buildouts that we do for Arkham is like 10, 12 cards. It's a circle. You're sitting in one yeah, end, and you're like struggle to see. And you're like, move me over here, and you can't see. And there's text is small. Like that for you at least is gonna be a big um, disconnect. I would say, right? I think that's gonna tie into your your discontent with the game. How can you enjoy a game versus you know when you play with a game like Nemesis with miniatures all over the board, you're like, oh look at that guy, look at that medic over there with all his monsters like, oh sucks to be you or you open then a monster spawns. You see it right there. You're not you, you look at the iconography and you know what you know this is an oh crap moment versus um Arkham, I can spawn a monster and you're like, okay, what does it do? And I'll read you and you're like, you're like, oh no, this is like terrible. But that lag time between me explaining to you or you picking up that card to read makes takes you away from role playing in the game and be like, oh, I'm just reading a card like I'm reading a card of magic. Because when you when you play magic, you're like, you're not like this is super thematic. You can build an all elves deck and be like, yeah, this is a super thematic elves deck. But you're like, you're not role playing or you, there's no thematic feeling or immersion like that and i think that's uh, a problem with any card game like arkham's gonna give you those moments too if if you can't get past it and i think that's a i think that could be a problem for you i don't know you tell me I, you might be on to something there because like i will say a lot of the times if i can't see the card like the card clearly enough like i don't even see the picture i'm just like what what is that is that the library yeah. okay that's fine and like obviously if i'm making these omissions of the location then it's kind of like, well, I'm not being immersed in the theme because I choose not to be immersed in the theme. Yeah, you're so like, hey, maybe tell, I, you're like, tell me what that location does. Maybe I can't does. fault the game. <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe I can't fault the game for that, you know? Yeah, it's it's so, it's a flaw to the card game. And then as me and you get older, uh, I, I, get back to me when I'm about 45 and ask me if I still love Arkham. I might, my, my tune bro, might change. <laughs> when you're 45, I'm going to be blind. <laughs> Like, I'll let you be the end of our gaming career. All right, I'll get I'll start funding some uh some bionic eye research or something. 
Huh. This is a really interesting. I know. I, I didn't make that. Con- think I, about. I didn't think of it until we started talking about it. And, you know, just thinking about how Nemesis impacts. Like, Nemesis is visually, visually like immersive when you see things of happen. Any any game with minis and like a board like that is going to be much more immersive and thematically immersive than a card game. A card game is just cards. It's the limitation. But even even that said. I still feel like the mechanical parts of actually playing the game, like I feel like you could just slap any theme on it and it probably would still work. But like, I don't feel that same way with Nemesis. Like, like if you put that, like, instead of like a spaceship, a derelict spaceship, you put like, you know, a school bus and instead of aliens, it's like kindergartners coming to like annoy you. It's like, I don't know. It just doesn't feel the same. Well, we'll have to uh, try uh, Aftermath, or was it Lockdown? We'll have to try that soon. Lockdown. Yeah. You know, uh, it, okay, hypothetical question for you. Let's say that FFG created a $5,000 Kickstarter. Okay. No, 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 no. $10,000 Kickstarter. All right. It is every Arkham Horror content up to date, but with minis with location tiles with full panel art rather than cards app integration i mean maybe i don't know yeah but like you you created like a 3d experience for arkham horror the card game would you buy it and also would it even be like something that's necessary because i mean obviously the way the game functions around the cards is like honestly really well done like i said previously like what they've done with the cards is amazing yeah, but if they made it with minis and terrain and a board, so Arkham Horror Third Edition, but way no, more expensive. Dude, Arkham Horror Third Edition is trash, like absolutely uh, yeah. trash. I'm just kidding, but I depending on like if the setup, if you're just taking if you're taking Arkham Horror LCG as it is and just keeping the streamlined setup and somehow creating terrain and minis in it, eh, I, just like tiles. You don't need terrain, yeah. but you definitely could have minis. I would. 99% sure I would do it. $10,000? Are you crazy? For my favorite game with minis and like just this complete immersion, like, like I, oof, let's just end this episode now and let me just go to sleep and dream about it, please. <laughs> like, you just All gave right, me, FFG, I'm going to give me some really this, good sleep tonight. Make this little boy's dream come true. Please, FFG, if you're listening, make this happen for me. All right. I got one more point about things that I don't like about Arkham Horror. Like, I mean, I kind of am starting to waffle a little bit on the thematic integration. Maybe it is because of my vision, because I chose not to, like, really look at the card because it's small. Mm -hmm. But the third one, kind of legit. LCG model, still very annoying with power creep. Can you describe anything regarding power creep for it? Power creep in this game is definitely, it's definitely there. Um, but for me, the power creep is not bad for this one. It works well for this because it takes certain characters that weren't very viable solo or two players and makes them viable now with all the hybrid cards we have. And some of the abilities that they have now are are just really good. And then like you can with the power creep, you can modulate the difficulty in this game. It's not and when you modulate the difficulty in this game, with the return to sets or adjusting the the bag, it doesn't. It's still 
does you still get the same feeling the power creep isn't as bad as other games it's still a problem in the sense that some characters can be broken but FFG, with this game at least FFG has been really good about doing erratas or taboo lists where they they um, fix the cards to make them like if the card is truly broken it they fix it just like any other card game so that's that's I think that solves some of that problem there yeah I'm um, like like we talked about in the Marvel Champions episode I'm not a huge fan of the LCG model and I'm definitely not a huge fan of power creep from my Magic the Gathering days but I will say for this game it kind of feels not that bad because most of the time, if you're an Arkham Horror LCG fan, you're going to buy all the content anyway. You know, like no one's buying just the investigator box and not playing the new campaigns and no one's buying the new campaigns without not paying the buying the investigator box. I think FFG only did that because if they have a friend who has all the campaign stuff elements and you can play with them, all you need is just the investigator cards, which is actually pretty cool on their part rather than making you like buy everything. But at the same time, it's like if you're a true fan, do you ever see any scenario where you would just mix and match like you would with Marvel? What do you mean by mix and match? Like you just like just pick the ones you want to play. Like you know, you said your least favorite uh, cycle was the Forgotten Ages or Cir- yeah, yeah, Forgotten Ages, right? Right. Yeah. So, yeah, so I don't. Would you go back and just not buy it? If you love the game like I do, like you know, you fell in love with it after your first campaign that you did, you would still. You know, when you watch a TV show, you're if you're you're in you're deep in it, you're not going to skip a season. So I wouldn't do this i would still want to experience it like every every campaign at least once but if my fr- if i'm getting if it's getting bad reviews and one of my friends has it then i can always just play their copy but because i'm so into it and i if deck construction isn't as important to you and you're just wanting to experience the narrative then i can see you not wanting to buy everything but if you love the deck construction as well as the narrative then you got to buy everything in my opinion yeah, I, I guess really I just wanted to validate the LCG model in this particular scenario because I feel like the pressure to buy to stay competitive is kind of less important because because it's, it's campaign based. You're pretty much going to buy everything anyway. Yeah, yeah. Since it's campaign based, you you can still do very solid builds and everything's cross compatible. So the and the thing is, whenever you jump into campaign, they have new investigators. You can bring your you can roll in your with your favorite investigator and still play any new campaign. But whenever you buy a new campaign, you have these new investigators that are designed for that scenario with the new mechanics, new cards. So you can still even without access to the old cards, um, you can still do you can still have a perfectly functional deck that's thematic. Um, and at an appropriate power level to handle on the basic difficulty, at least. Okay. Well, let's let's go into our final thoughts and wrap this up, because I, I, it turns out that this is, in fact, our longest episode ever. <sighs> yeah. Well, you know, it's my favorite game of all time, so I can keep going on and on about it, and maybe we'll revisit once uh, we get, because the, the next campaign that's coming out is just tilting the whole paradigm and now with the new release model and but i want to touch on that when we start our lcg talk with the lcg model and everything i think i can um lend some, lend some insight on how things are changing a little bit yeah i'm really looking forward to the next episode because like i've i think i've had 
all in collections of like five different LCGs now, all both competitive and cooperative. So I can provide a lot of insight on that. Too. Yeah, both of but, us can. Like, I don't love the LCG mall either. It just happens to be that my favorite game of yeah. all time happens to be an LCG. Okay, so let's hear your final thoughts. Uh, final thoughts. This game has a lot of content. If you want a deep, uh, cooperative, tense, hard co-op um, that is about card play, this this game is it. I think us talking about it, you can tell how much I like the game or love the game already. Um, I, but I also just want to say that it's an expensive game to get into because at the end of the day, these companies are trying to make money. And this game, as good as the content it provides, there is an extremely high barrier to entry. Even like I've played, like you know, we said multiple 200 plays or whatever, this game still creates challenges when there's a little bit of a lull between campaigns and I still have to look up rules. It's it's a fiddly game with all the keywords. Um, if you're not used to card games, this is not a game you want to jump into from the get-go. Uh, Marvel Champion is probably the better game for you to start if you've never experienced card games or LCGs in general. But if you have the time and you, if you're a big Lovecraft fan and you're like, uh, and you love board games, like it, just getting a core box to try them mechanically, see how you feel about it. And you're like, there's potential. Then, um, you can always, uh, email us at one chip wonder and I can give you actually some recommendations on how you would proceed through the campaign. Like I probably would not recommend starting with Dunwich as your first campaign either at this point. There's other ones that I would recommend to start for your intro. Wow, that's really cool because I was actually going to recommend Dunwich because I thought that campaign was really exciting to play. It's very vanilla now compared to everything else. What? Yeah. I don't think I... I cool. Like Dunwich I love and I rated it as my favorite for a while, but I would probably never come back to Dunwich unless I was just really bored. Wow. Hmm. Interesting. You know what? We should have a whole segment of just you talking about Arkham Horror. I, if you ever, if we ever stop being so busy... I want you to play one campaign with me with my favorite campaign just just to let you experience it. You don't have to play all of it. You can play just two scenarios and if you're like, this is great, you don't have to buy it. You just, we can just roll through it and just let you experience some of the cool story moments and everything like that. Why do you even have to preface it like that? Just be like, hey bro, we're going to play Arkham Horror for the next month. I'll be like, oh, fine. You, our shelf of shame is so deep right now. Like It's it's bad. I know. Mine's real bad. We haven't... I ha- I haven't seen you in weeks. I miss you so much. I miss your face. I miss your face too. <laughs> uh, so 10 out of 10 for you, I take it? 100 out of 10. 100 out of 10. That's an impossible impossible number. It's still a 10, Actually, right? Actually, it's still a 10. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, the 10 out of 10 is a 1 then. Crap. Yeah, you're going to reevaluate your scale system. Uh, all right. So for me... Arkham Horror sits at a nice six. Ooh, it is ouch. not in any ways a terrible game. I think the the way the game is designed creates a lot of really unique scenarios. And if you guys know me, like that's one of my biggest things. Like it's one of the reasons why I sold uh, Spirit Island and kept Unsettled because of the varying unique scenarios for, that each planet offered. It's one of the reasons why. I got, I really not a big fan of Euros because a lot of the times it feels like all you're trying to do is score the most points and win, you know, bleh, who cares? I care. I, <laughs> no one asked you. Everyone asks me, okay. I don't know. Our inbox is so empty. I don't think anyone's asking either of us anything. That's because they're going through our second email that you don't know about. 
You son of a gun. Give me a Kane's email. But, Shout out. Oh my God. How <laughs> dare you? Like, I, yeah, I honestly 100% believe that could be possible. We started last week. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like I love that every scenario you play is so different. And the things that they're able to get out of this card game is honestly a feat to admire. The variety of investigators and the deck construction and the option that you have is honestly like astounding. And it avoids some of the pitfalls of the thematic disconnect that I experienced with Marvel Champions. But to me, I had a really hard time finding like making peace with the token bag. You know, it's like hey, you, you did your best. I, I really, really wanted to like this game. And on so many levels, it felt like it was everything that I wanted in any kind of card campaign cooperative game. It had everything engine, like a little bit of engine building, deck building, like it was super tense, super cooperative, great table talk. All those are still true. But at the end of the day, I felt like the bag was just an obstacle I couldn't overcome. And without getting into way more detail than we need to, it just always felt like the decision was made for me on how to handle the bag. And the fact that there was still a swinginess to it that is impossible to calculate or anticipate. And if you just want to commit the maximum amount just to be able to pass every single test, I felt like that decision making and that player agency was taken away from me. And if that is an aspect that applies to the majority of the conflict and the discovery of the mechanics of this game, it just didn't work for me. I had some issues with some of the thematic disconnect of basically clue gathering, skill checks. Like they honestly just felt pretty arbitrary in regards to like why you're doing it. It's like the theme is on the cards, on the art and the description but actually doing the actions didn't feel like it because whether you are jumping over a pit or fighting a eight armed Mon- Mongol, <laughs> it's still discarding a certain number of cards to pass a skill check to do a certain number of things. And that physical mechanic just did not feel good for me. I think you'll like this game. Like Johnny said, if you love Lovecraft, if you love punishing difficult co-ops and you can handle the RNG we described in the token bag, probably the best game ever made for you. But for me, it didn't work. I like co-ops a lot, but I like my co-ops to be a more positive reinforcing experience. And for me, Arkham Horror was just a constant torrent of just negative like feelings and constant failure. And it just never felt good for me after 10 plays. Maybe if I got to 20 plays, I could explore something different. But it just wasn't going to happen for me. So I got out of it 6 out of 10. All right. I, I can see it. And I agree with you. How you, uh, your, your reviews and everything. Like, you know, that's a probably a common viewpoint for the people that aren't a fan of Arkham. Yeah, I feel like this is the kind of game where if you like Arkham Horror, like you love Arkham Horror, the card game. Yeah, there's, there's, no, there's, there's no, no in between. Yeah. Yeah, it's either you have nothing or you have everything. Yep. Yeah. But I think that's it. Um, It's really late here, so we're going to get out of here. Our next episode, we are going to talk about the LCG model in general and all the games that we've played, what worked, what didn't work, why we like it, and why we don't like it. So 
other than that, do you have any closing notes, Johnny? No, just uh, get ready for our next LCG talk because that's going to be a doozy long one too. So save it for if you got a road trip plan. Uh, we'll try to get it, get it out in time for you next week or something. Oh man, that'd be great. All right, y'all. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can find us on Instagram at one shit wonder. Our email is one shit wonder at gmail.com. If you love Arkham Horror, email us. Tell Johnny you love it. If you hate Arkham Horror, email Johnny privately at his personal email. Just <laughs> I'll put it in the it's show a, notes. Is that the real chit one, real one chit wonder at gmail.com? The real, yeah, two chit wonder featuring <laughs> Kane and Johnny only. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everyone. Yeah. Thanks, y'all. Good night.